And I'm so bullish because I think there's seriously maybe 0.01% of the global population who actually understand Bitcoin. A lot of people say that there's 10 to 20 to 30 million users of Bitcoin and, you know, quote unquote crypto. But I think a very small subset of people actually understand Bitcoin. And when uh, the world slowly begins to realize what Bitcoin is and why they desperately need it, I don't think there's going to be many Bitcoin available for them on exchanges for sale. So I am very, very bullish. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, the Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Pseudofin. Today, we turn up our energy and our bullishness with Luke Mikic, digital nomad and Bitcoin content creator. In this conversation, we get to know Luke and what makes him so bullish. We explore Bitcoin as a monetary technology, business in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, and the necessity of monetary velocity. We also get some insight on producing Bitcoin content online, and we debate how fast adoption should be. Before we jump in, a quick reminder that the best way to support the show is to send us a boost or stream us some sats using a value for value podcasting app such as Fountain. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, check it out on Fountain. You can earn sats from listening and you can support us and all your other favorite shows. You can also support us on Geyser or send sats directly to our lightning address, freedom at geyser.fund. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the channel. Even if you're listening as a podcast, head over to the YouTube channel and subscribe to us there. It would be a big help. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors, Amber App, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way, and Geyser. All their information is in the description. We'll be talking a bit more about them later. And now, without further ado, here is Luke Mikic on The Freedom Footprint Show. Luke, welcome to The Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, lads. I'm pretty excited for this. No, great to hear. Uh, this is a dashing Luke Jr. as opposed to a Luke Dash Jr. It's another Luke <laughs> and it's Luke <laughs> Mikic. Live from where in the world exactly? I'm in Brazil right now and it's, yeah, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty open with my uh, surroundings. I hope nobody tries a $5 wrench attack on me. I'm in Florianopolis, Brazil right now, if anyone does want to try. All right. And uh, how long have you been in Brazil? The girlfriend and I did Rio for a month. We did Sao Paulo for a month. And now we're in Florianopolis for another month. Florianopolis. Sounds like Antonopolis. Sounds Greek. <laughs> it does a little bit. <laughs> it does. Funny enough, it's, uh, it's a little bit like its namesake, Antonopolis. There's lots of Bitcoiners down here. It's a great little part of Brazil. And, um, Polis is a um, city in, in Greek, right? Acropolis. Oh, yeah. All this. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. And you're one of the people in the world who are actually more bullish than I am, uh, aren't you? Or oh, are we in a race? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. A friendly competition. I reckon we can get pretty <laughs> bullish today. <laughs> yeah, we we were having a, a small chat about who, who the most bullish Luke is. And we uh, it's probably you. Have so, you had broils on yet? We had broils on uh, like half a year ago or something, right? Maybe yeah, even earlier like than that. that. No, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he was first kind of out in the in the scene and and all this, and around the same time, you were coming on our radar too. And uh, one thing just hasn't led to another quite soon enough. So super glad to have you here, first of all. And can you give us the TLDR on your story and your Bitcoin story and why you're more bullish than Luke Broyles? <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll try to keep it as short as I can. Uh, Bitcoin came across my radar when I was 19. At the time, I was at university studying a double major in maths and chemistry. 
I went down the rabbit hole pretty hard in three weeks, listened to just about every episode and interview that Max Kaiser and Andreas Antonopoulos ever recorded. Uh, I learned enough about Bitcoin in three weeks to come to the conclusion that I was not going to go back to university. So I took a gap year. I started my own personal training business with the sole goal just to free up more time to learn about Bitcoin. That was 2017. And since then, I've just been talking shit about Bitcoin full-time online for the past, you know, past three to four years. It took me a couple of years to wave through the uh, the sea of shit coins there in 2018 and 2019. I learned my lessons and now I'm just trying to tell everybody about the uh, the Bitcoin gospel because I do believe it's probably the biggest technological revolution we have ever discovered as a civilization. I think it's bigger than fire. I think it's bigger than the wheel. I think it's bigger than the internet. Uh, so that is potentially why I could be more bullish than my namesake, Luke Broyles. It could just be our youth. We are both in our 20s. We're both pretty young and crazy, but I, I'm pretty bullish myself and I'm pretty excited to explore that rabbit hole with you lads today. Oh, I've just uh, I've just graduated from my 20s. So yeah, I guess that's why I'm not nearly as bullish as you guys. Sorry, Knut, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm just curious. Is this radar of yours still in your possession or did you sell it for sats? I sold everything for sats. You can see I'm standing. There's no chairs behind me, lads. <laughs> everything sold for sats. <laughs> There's even a hole in the wall there. Exactly. Have a look at it. Well, you sold your TV as well as your radar, I guess. It's all gone. Ah. Good to hear. I mean, there's no not much use for a radar on on dry land anyway. A good thing you picked up Bitcoin, though. Yeah. So 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 give us a bit more depth on why you're so bullish about Bitcoin. Like, what what makes you see this in a way that other people don't? I know some people do, which this equation on my T-shirt may allude to my stance on bullishness. But what does Bitcoin mean to you, and why do you love it so much? don't even know where to begin. I, I, I think just the fact that we've discovered digital scarcity, I think that's going to be an enormous mind F, excuse my French, I don't want to get you guys kicked off YouTube. But I think when people come to realize that there's only 21 million Bitcoin ever available for sale, I, I think you're going to see potentially the biggest supply squeeze uh, in financial market history. I, I don't even think it's going to be close to any sort of a competition, but there's going to become a day in the future where every single person on planet Earth is trying to buy Bitcoin. And today there's only 2 million Bitcoin sitting on exchanges. So I, I, I think a, a large majority of that 21 million supply is not going to move for the next 100 years. It's going to flow into the hands of people like Michael Saylor, who in his own words, if we believe Michael Saylor, I know some people don't, but I personally do. If you believe Michael Saylor, he's not going to sell his coins for 100 years. There's, you know, Michael Saylor sitting on 150,000 coins. There's no, 2 million... A, it, it, He's going to die with them. At least that's what he alluded to on our show here, Luke, uh, Luke right? Too many Luke. Please elaborate. Uh, yeah, this is going to get confusing yeah. if you just <laughs> say Luke Knut. <You're laughs> Luke. <laughs> our guest, Luke, you're Luke for today. I can be something else. I've got you other can be nicknames. Finn. Other people have yeah, called sure. you Finn. Call because it's of pseudo Finn. Yes, yes, call, yes. Thanks, can please. I call you Danger? Because I know that's your middle name. Yes, Danger is my middle name. Thank you. Yeah, Knut. yeah, good. You could call me crazy <laughs> hair, Luke. That might be a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Michael Saylor was on the show and he said something that he has alluded to in other shows as well. What he said was that the most altruistic thing a person can do is die with their Bitcoins in their heads. Uh, because then you take them off market forever and you increase the scarcity of the, uh, of the thing. So you help everyone on earth. Instead of giving them to a select few people you give them to everyone or you give the value of the scarcity to everyone. 
so, so what are your thoughts when you hear that? I feel like there's going to be a growing cohort of people who see Bitcoin the same way. I think all three of us on this call are probably going to do something similar. I know the small amount of coins that I sit on won't be moving for many, many decades. They'll be passed on to my future generations. I don't even have kids yet. I don't even have a wife yet. Sorry, honey. She's in the lounge room. She can hear me say that. There will be a ring coming one day. Uh, but I mean, like, I, I'm not moving my Bitcoin for a long time. And I, I think the 10 or 20 or 30,000 psychopaths on Twitter probably feel about Bitcoin the same way. And I'm so bullish because I think there's seriously maybe 0.01% of the global population who actually understand Bitcoin. A lot of people say that there's 10 to 20 to 30 million users of Bitcoin and, you know, quote unquote crypto. But I think a very small subset of people actually understand Bitcoin. And when uh, the world slowly begins to realize what Bitcoin is and why they desperately need it, I don't think there's going to be many Bitcoin available for them on exchanges for sale. So I am very, very bullish. No, I totally agree. Everyone underestimates this upcoming sat squeeze. That's what Adam Back told us, that according to him and his interpretation of Glassnode data, there's a million or a million addresses with around one coin in them that they think are DCAers that have accumulated, that had the target of one coin. And like only of like two million can do that, maybe. But then it gets tricky because there just aren't enough coins. And the people who already have one coin, many of them are going to want another coin. And and also, if people do the altruistic move and die with the coins, I mean, we idiots here, we're the first generation of Bitcoiners. And we're going to squander them away in droves. Like, there's not going to be much left for future generations. So whatever's left is good. It's still going to be divisible. But especially on the Lightning Network and, and such, like to infinitesimal parts. But they're going to be so scarce. So just the same demand as now over a, a long enough time period. It also leads to that Heinz ketchup bottle effect, like gradually then suddenly. Is that the way you see it too? Yeah, I, I think like I think something in Bitcoin fundamentally changed three years ago. Like for the first time in Bitcoin's life, Coins actually started leaving exchanges in March of 2020. Like for the first 10 years, that amount of Bitcoin sitting on exchanges only grew. So it went from zero to like 3 million. Today, we're sitting at around 2 million-ish coins sitting on exchanges. So in the past three years, you've literally just watched a million coins disappear off exchanges. We don't know where they're going. All we know from that on-chain data you mentioned there, Kuno, is it's going to wallets who don't have a history of selling their Bitcoin. So I think like that supply squeeze, that catch-up, bottle, some sort of a squeeze that is coming. I think it's going to come pretty pretty soon. Uh, like if you extrapolate forwards the past three years of data, you got no Bitcoin sitting on exchanges in around 2028, 2029. I mean, there's only 2 million Bitcoin sitting on exchanges. Um, and I've got a thesis that we're going to see some sort of billionaire FOMO. So Michael Saylor's got 150,000 coins. And right now there's only enough Bitcoin sitting on exchanges for like 10 or 11 or maybe 12 Michael Saylors to also accumulate 150,000 coins that he holds between himself and his micro strategy corporate entity. So you've got enough Bitcoin for 12 Michael Saylors. And there's like, uh, what is there? Is there 50,000 public companies and something like three to 4,000 billionaires all potentially fighting over 2,000 Bitcoin left on exchanges? Yeah, this, this reminds me of a video we made a couple of years back about the S-curve adoption of new technologies, where you have this catch-up effect, and then there's a saturation at the other end of the S, where it levels out. So, it, like 
the TV or the smartphone or the internet, they all had S-shaped adoption curves and it went very quickly for a short period. And then when everyone's, uh, uh, basically everyone on earth is on board and has a smartphone, then it levels out again. And that is probably the case for Bitcoin as well. Uh, but the, the, the thing we argued for in that video is like, we don't really see that happening to the Bitcoin's price though. That will not follow an S curve. It would just continue to go up. And I've been thinking this over so many times and it's kind of hard to wrap your head around because like there's something to be said for in a hyper Bitcoinized world where the only thing that is used as a medium of exchange between people at all is Bitcoin. Then Bitcoin will only reflect the total purchasing power of society. And that's expected to go up by 5 to 15% per year. So it's still appreciate by 5 to 15%. But think that through one step further. After hyper-Bitcoinization, we have a global free market based on sound money. No interventionism. Nothing. And you add to that AIs and stuff, like it's just unstoppable what the human race can do with with that power like i don't think 15% growth is a given just because that's the case now when we measure bullshit metrics like bmp uh, gdp and stuff bnp is the uh, the swedish uh, abbreviation but this gdp which includes medication and, and stuff so the uh, the actual advancement of civilization will accelerate obviously because the market is more well oiled very much like i view the current fiat paradigm global market as a dog on three legs at best because there's interventionism everywhere and therefore resource misallocation everywhere what are your views on that will bitcoin have an only up point where there's only upwards after that point and it cannot ever go down again like how do you see that yeah i think i actually so i wrote an article on this topic in 2021 saying look bitcoin's uh, uh monetary technology if we think it's a technology that's going to go mainstream it should follow this kind of s-curve um, adoption path and i remember specifically quoting that video that you guys made uh over on ioni Appleberg's uh youtube channel because it influenced my thinking a lot and i think you guys actually called said no bitcoin is not an s-curve an s-curve assumes that your adoption is actually going to level off at some stage but yeah. as you kind of alluded to, Bitcoin's a monetary J-curve. It's going up forever because Bitcoin is the savings account of the world. If the world continues to become more and more productive into the future, where are those continued productivity gains going to be stored? They're not going to be stored in some speculative tech stock like they are today. They're going to be stored in the world's dominant store of value, which is money. It's going to be stored in Bitcoin and Bitcoin is going to go up forever. So I think... Like, I think the biggest meme in Bitcoin today in 2023 is this idea of diminishing returns theory. Lots of people have drawn these cute little models over the past 12 years and they've said, oh, look, you know, Bitcoin's giving diminishing returns every four-year bull market. And I think all of these stupid models like that are going to be absolutely wrecked to the upside uh, when even a small percentage of people begin to realize what Bitcoin is. Because Bitcoin is, like, like Michael Saylor and Samson Mao have said, it's going up forever, Laura. It really is. And people just don't, they can't grasp that. They think it's just another tech stock, just another uh, gold 2.0. It's digital gold. It's just another asset. Um, I like how CK frames this, um, CK Snarks. He says, uh, that's actually the least likely outcome that Bitcoin just becomes digital gold. And I see it the same way. I think Bitcoin's an all or nothing binary, vet, uh, binary bet, the same way CK does. 
And I think it's either becomes the dominant store value uh, for the world or it fails and it goes to zero. Um, so I think it's really an all or nothing kind of bet here. Yeah, that's so fascinating to think about because Bitcoin is deflationary, especially in the long run. Like there's no way around that, especially as we start losing sets. Because after 2140, it's absolutely deflationary because more sats will be lost than, than uh, found. Already, it's like 92% of the supply or something that have al- uh, already been found, right? So most of the coins are already out there. And the remaining million, it, it's going to be mined over uh, more than 100 years, uh, <laughs> which is so weird to think about. And the Keynesian argument is that deflation is bad because you don't get the velocity of money. because people will spend less and they see every transaction as creating value, which I think is flawed because that doesn't take into account that people in that type of environment, in an inflationary environment, they will prioritize quantity over quality. So what Bitcoin does is it it reverses that uh, completely. I I always like to say that it's the uh, one divided by clown world. It's the literal inverse of the clown world over consumerist bullshit world we're politicized everywhere thing we're living in now. So what that means is that everyone on earth will know the preciousness of their Bitcoins and therefore they will be very careful with spending them. But envisioning what a hyper-Bitcoinized world actually looks like is so weird because everyone's stack will need to diminish over time. Very few people will actually be able to have black numbers on their balance sheets. Everyone's stack will go down over time. Still, their purchasing power can still go up since the value of the coins go up or the value of everything else than the coins go up. So I imagine a world where you can start a company, which, by the way, in the future is nothing but a telegram group or something. You don't really need every all these other structures that are around companies, uh, legal structures and, you know, government-imposed stuff. You just need a bunch of people who talk to one another to start a business. And uh, I, I even see a, a scenario when people start businesses not to make more Bitcoins, but to make their stacks diminish a, a little slower. It's like the derivative of the the gain curve and not the gains themselves so there's so much to explore there have you given a a lot of thought to a post hyper bitcoinization scenario what that actually means yeah i think it's gonna like you say i think it's i think it's gonna be the antithesis of clown world everything's gonna look so much different today everybody's gorging on debt there's like 400 trillion dollars of debt around the world on a Bitcoin standard, I, I see that shrinking by 90%. Like it's just going to be really difficult to take out debt, uh, in a form of money that's appreciating at such a rapid rate. Even if we're ultra conservative and let's say Bitcoin's only appreciating at say like five or 10% per year. Well, you, if you take out debt, you're going to have to outpace that appreciation of Bitcoin. You need to start a business that right out the bat is appreciating at faster than five or 10% per year. And that's very difficult. How long has it taken Tesla to become profitable? I don't think they're even profitable. I think they rely only on uh, government handouts and government subsidies. So some of the most successful and biggest companies around the world today only have the market cap that they do because they've been able to feast on this debt. They've been extraordinarily wasteful. They've been pursuing ideas that simply aren't profitable and the free market doesn't really uh, you know, want. They don't desire the products they're making, like Budweiser, for example all of the ridiculous marketing that they're doing around the world is completely uneconomic. They can only do it 
because there's a money printer they can cozy up to and get endless debt. So I think there's going to be like a debt is probably the biggest thing that's potentially going to flip on a Bitcoin standard. And that's going to change everybody's time preference. Uh, you're going to have to change the way you think about money and you're going to have to change the way you think about how you allocate your money and your savings um, on a Bitcoin standard. Yeah, Budweiser might not be gay, but it's still like making love in a canoe. Like it's <laughs> fucking close to water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'd like to explain another one of my current thoughts around what Bitcoin is. Maybe you've heard it before that when you really think deep and hard about what owning a Bitcoin means or possessing a Bitcoin means, it's nothing but keeping a secret. It's either the location of a Bitcoin private key or the actual private key itself. But it doesn't really matter if you've hidden it properly. The secret is the Bitcoin. Like whoever has that secret in their brains has the Bitcoins. And only brains can keep secrets. So in effect, that means that we are our Bitcoins. Everyone in Bitcoin is the Bitcoins. And also, if you if you think about miners and uh, nodes, the computers used in mining and in just running a Bitcoin node, each and every computer is just a fancy abacus that helps us with calculation. So the the ASIC is not the miner; it's the guy owning the ASIC and deciding to run the software. And the node is not the is not the Raspberry Pi; it's the guy who owns the uh, the Raspberry Pi and runs Umbro or, or Bitcoin Core. So every participant in Bitcoin is those Bitcoins. And to me, this is one of the more philosophical rabbit holes to fall into in this, because that means we run this mathematical experiment in the back of our heads, and somehow it unlocks a way for us to not only transact, but to interact with one another in ways that are, weren't possible to explore pre-Bitcoin. So, so, so humanity gets into a whole new level and, and us three, for instance, we're all incentivized to help one another because we're Bitcoiners and we know if we help other Bitcoiners succeed with ever, whatever their endeavor is, we help Bitcoin succeed because we help other Bitcoiners. And it's not only that we, we all want Bitcoin to succeed. So we all want to, you know, quote unquote, pump our bags, know the power of hodling and the power of a low time preference. So we're all incentivized to keep a low type preference and help one another. And what I see that leading to is a world where money gets used less and less because everyone's incentivized to just be awesome to one another with, without exchanging anything because everyone knows how precious sats are. And why do you even need to transact at all if you could just help the other guy and you know you'll get something back sooner or later? So like th these are the more ephemeral thoughts I have around this. And what, what are your thoughts? I think it's a really interesting rabbit hole to explore. It's something I haven't given a whole bunch of thought, but I think it's like Bitcoin takes money back to some of its earliest roots. Like money has always been a ledger. And back in the early days when we were like hunters and gatherers, just slowly discovering what money was, it was a lot more like that. It was a lot more communal. It was more like a reputation-based small community where you do a favor for someone else and they repay you and do a favor back to you. And so I think Bitcoin's going to completely flip how we think about money. That's something I've never thought about, how that's going to kind of decrease the transactions because we're just going to want to do favors for each other. That's a really interesting rabbit hole that I personally need to think about a little bit more. But uh, like you say, when you are your Bitcoin, that changes not only how you interact with 
some peers in your society and your community around you, but it also changes like the logic of violence. Like gone are the days that you can just storm into someone's home, kill them and take all their wealth, whether it's stored in gold, fiat or a safe or stupid Rolex watches like Shitboy Crypto has. Like now to actually get somebody's wealth. Shitboy Crypto. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Shitboy crap though. Yeah, Bitcoin completely changes all of that. For thousands of years, you could just roll into another city, kill everybody and take their gold and you've got all of their wealth. Gone are the days of that on a Bitcoin standard. You actually need to get the secret out of their head. Sure, some people might give up their secret if they're tortured enough, but I know some people won't. And it's if you store your Bitcoin correctly in a multi-signature setup, it's actually impossible to get somebody's wealth. Yeah, just from a game theory perspective there, uh, you get half if you torture someone. Like <laughs> half the time you, you kill them and you get nothing and half the time you get everything or like some, I, I think there's some game theoretical argument to be made for the, the average being half over time given enough transactions or threats. I think that's a good average. I think that's a good average. I, I think that average will skew the further we move on to a Bitcoin standard because I'm hopeful that more and more people uh, will adopt superior security practices. Like I'm pretty comfortable doxing my full name out there because I have a pretty secure multi-signature setup. Like if someone wants my Bitcoin, all right, put me on a flight, get cozy with me because you're going to have to take me to Australia as well as a few other countries to actually get all of my private keys to move Bitcoin out of my multi-signature wallet. And I think as technology advances and as that becomes a lot more easier and accessible for the everyday person to do, I'm pretty hopeful that that's going to actually decrease uh, the amount of violence um, on a Bitcoin standard. So I'm super bullish on what Bitcoin is going to do. Yeah, I tried to put all the, the gist of that into a sentence of one of my books. And I think it is uh, the, the line is when you cannot know how much another person owns and you cannot take it by force. There's no other way for you to extract value from that person than giving something of value back. Uh, and this is a key point when you cannot know how much another person owns. Because right now it is true that it's impossible for anyone on earth to know how much Bitcoins anyone else actually owns. You, you may be able to do some chain anal stuff and find out uh, a part of that person's uh, Bitcoin stack, but you cannot prove that you don't own a Bitcoin. Like, since it's just keeping a secret, there's no way of knowing how many other people know that secret. Or if a person knows more than one secret, there's no way of knowing which, like you say, alters the shelling point of violence. Violence is not as profitable as it used to be, and it will never go back. It will only be less and less profitable over time. That's how I see the world. That's how I think the Bitcoin standard's going to change things. I think it's going to take time, like you say, over time. I I uh, can see a pretty turbulent path that we may take towards a Bitcoin standard. I think a lot of people might not be prepared for. Uh, that's personally why I'm never going to be living in a G7 Western nation state for the next few years until the turbulence kind of blows over. I won't be returning back to the open air prison of Australia because I can see potentially the, a scenario unfolding for public figures like ourselves where the government comes pretty hard at us. Again, it's only a hypothetical scenario. There's Lots of possibilities. Nobody knows how the future is going to play out. But again, I, I do agree with you there, Kanoon. I think over time, violence is going to decrease on a Bitcoin standard. Yeah. So there are a lot of people that argue for a slow transition into a Bitcoin standard because of this turbulence uh, that might arise. But 
I think there's a case to be made for a really, really rapid uh, Bitcoin adoption phase, since all it does is remove violence from the equation. The, pe- the thing that people leave out of that is that they're, they're being violated against right now. People are stealing their stuff. They are being threatened. There, there's a threat of violence to each and everyone's head. If you're paying taxes, well, you can argue for and against taxes, I guess, on some level. I think that you can deductively reason yourself to that taxes are always a net negative. But especially with inflation, which you, it's hard to argue for inflation in any shape or form once you realize that it's just theft and it's just counterfeiting and it's nothing but that. But but that's what Bitcoin removes. So to me, removing violence and adopting Bitcoin are literally two sides of the same coin. They're the exact same phenomenon. Yeah, and I, I I'm I'm a fan of that thesis. Canute, I I think if you rip the bandaid off, I I'm actually one of the people who agree with you, and I actually think it probably is going to be better if we transition to Bitcoin really rapidly and really quickly. For for years there, I used to say. Look, I think Bitcoin's going to be adopted really rapidly and really quickly, but I don't want it to happen like that because it's going to be very turbulent, could be very messy, could be very violent. But maybe in the past 12 months, I've shifted my thinking a little bit surrounding that and kind of come to the conclusion after listening to your thoughts for a while, it does make a little bit more sense. Why don't we just rip the bandaid off and transition to a world where it's far harder to lie to people and it's far harder to steal someone's wealth? Makes a lot of sense. Okay, we have some big news. We have a new lead sponsor, Amber App. They're the number one exchange in the Southern Hemisphere. They're rated for the best customer service around, and their global launch is coming. But the reason we're partnering with Amber App is because of the people. If you haven't listened to our episode with Izzy, CEO of Amber App, you really should go check it out. You'll see why it made perfect sense to partner with Izzy and Amber App. That's all I'll say for now, you really have to check it out for yourself. They have loads of great features coming that we're excited to share with you when the time comes. But for now, just check out the episode, check out their website, amper.app. You can see for yourself why we're thrilled to bring Amber App on as our lead sponsor and partner. So go check it out. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, the privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy-to-use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. And the best part is they've been making huge improvements to the app. They're really focusing on the user experience, adding advanced features for power users. They just keep getting better. You send your coins to your Wasabi wallet, and they get combined with loads of other coins using the Wabi-Sabi protocol, so they're private on the other end. Your tracks are covered, so you can work on expanding your freedom footprint without worrying about your privacy. So... Check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. Luke, do you have any? Uh, do you have any anything on your mind? I, I see you're uh, thinking something there. Yeah, well, I mean, this has been a whole whole good vein, and I think I'd like to tie this into. Oh, a sorry, bit danger, about... danger. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. I'd, I'd like to I'd like to pull this into a little bit of uh, a little bit of what you're doing in the Bitcoin scene community. You have your YouTube channel, and what are you trying to do with that? What are you trying to accomplish to advance Bitcoin? Yes, yeah, so I personally have a couple of different YouTube channels that I make videos for. I've got a personal one, but then I also make videos for Coinbeast. Uh, so we have a, a YouTube channel called Money Matters, and we just make Bitcoin-only education. 
Um, and I also uh, kind of train other Bitcoiners and other Bitcoin YouTubers uh, to how to kind of hack virality in their content. So uh, I also kind of help YouTubers grow their audience so that they can orange pill more people because that's my mission at the end of the day, orange pill more people. And I think if we are going to actually reach some sort of hyper-Bitcoinization, we actually sadly do need to interact with these platforms that can be censored because that's simply where all the normies are. Uh, we can shout all we want on Twitter, but it's pretty simple. Most of my normie friends aren't on Twitter. They're on YouTube. They're on Instagram. So my mission is to try to make some easily digestible Bitcoin-only content over on YouTube that catches the masses. Sometimes that involves clickbaiting a little bit. And sometimes if you can clickbait a lot of new people, you can actually deliver them an orange pill uh, that's kind of wrapped up in some clickbait, you know, crypto scammery that's on YouTube. Because when I was learning about Bitcoin, I primarily went to YouTube in 2018 and 2019. And that's where I got scammed because there was no Bitcoin only content on there. Okay. I learned a little bit from Max and Andreas, but everything else, it was just crypto trading, all of this other trash. Um, so that's my mission, just trying to orange pill the world. And I think what I am doing right now is probably the closest thing to doing the most that I can. I've nearly published my first book um, and I'm focusing pretty heavily on YouTube and helping other people master YouTube. Great. And did you say Coinbase or Coinbase? Yeah. Coinbase. Coinbase. Yeah, that sounds way better. Uh, <laughs> a lot better. You wouldn't touch Coinbase with a 21-foot pole, I guess. Definitely not. <laughs> It, it's funny, all of my editing software can never pick up my strong accent. So a lot of the times when I say coin beast, the little caption is coin base. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a struggle. So, so what does coin base do? No, is there a know, TLDR? You, this is the, this, no, this is the problem, isn't it? Uh, I think it's, you're saying beast as in like a, like a, brr, a bear. There you go. Like, coin beast. All right. All right. So yeah, I, yeah. My algorithm didn't detect your dialect there properly. Um, <laughs> so what does CoinBeast do? So we're a Bitcoin-only educational company and uh, we connect new people uh, to Bitcoin pros. So if someone wants to set up a sophisticated mining operation, we connect them with a video call with people like Adam O, Denver Bitcoin. Um, if somebody wants to take self-custody of their Bitcoin, we connect them to a Bitcoin pro who's going to help them custody their Bitcoin, get their Bitcoin off exchanges. We do that and we also spread Bitcoin-only educational content on Twitter and on YouTube. So if someone comes and asks for dad jokes and philosophy uh, rants, <laughs> we'll, we'll, where do you send them? <laughs> we got ex we, we should send them to you, Canute. We need to hook you up as a uh, oh, really? Bitcoin pro. We should. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, dad jokes as a service. Knut thinks that other people also enjoy the things that he finds funny, and that's pretty good. Cause yeah, that's funny to me. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why I'm here. I'm here for the dad jokes. Perfect. <laughs> All right, I have a joke uh, about construction, but it isn't done yet. I mean, oh, still hey, there you go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you got me. Well, well. So, so can you tell us a little bit more about the the whole reaching out to more people? thing we're kind of in the business of deepening conviction we've we've been talking about this a, a little bit lately that the freedom footprint show isn't exactly the best thing for a new person to come find we're we're a little on the toxic side i saw you you were avoiding swearing earlier as well um are these things that that 
turn people off on YouTube or that YouTube deprioritizes? Like, does that actually stop us from growing, even though we're kind of finding our niche in the uh, toxic Bitcoin maxi community? I, I'm not 100% sure. I've seen some people, some big YouTubers claim that using the F-bomb multiple times, uh, it's going to affect your monetization, but it shouldn't actually affect your virality. This is like something you you see a lot of people repeat. A lot of people say, I'm shadow banned on YouTube. I'm shadow banned on YouTube because they think that, you know, the algorithm is squashing them. And it's just the fact no, they make dude, shit content. Yeah, you're not very popular. That's that's yeah. the case. You're not shadow, you're not shadow banned. You're boring. I was one of them. I used to think my channel was shadow banned when I started it, but the fact was I just made shit titles, shit thumbnails, and I needed to uh, get better with what I said. So, I, but I think, think I prefer to play it safe uh, on some of my channels. On my personal channel, I let it fly, um, and I've dropped many F-bombs in a video, and it does well. So I don't think F-bombs affects you unless you are monetizing your YouTube channel. Yeah, me and Luke, we talk about this all the time, what we're actually trying to achieve with this thing and what we're trying to do. And like, I mean, for the most part, why we started it, and that's still the core, is just that we want to have conversations with other Bitcoiners because we love having conversations with other Bitcoiners. It's our favorite thing to do in the world. But also like, what kind of audience are we doing this for? And who are our listeners? Like, it's it's kind of hard to, to get a grasp of those things. And YouTube is like a computer game in a sense. There are different levers to pull and there are different things to try. But I think at the core of our idea of this is to get quality listeners rather than quantity listeners. We like to align with the Bitcoin ethos and prioritize quality over quantity. That's that's like the main goal. And that's mine as well. My my thinking surrounding it is to get the quality listeners is you kind of have to play the YouTube algo and the YouTube game. Uh, to actually cast your net out there to find the quality. Because I believe there are so many quality, hardcore Bitcoiners around the world who are simply not Bitcoiners yet. And I think the number one touch point uh, that many people are going to touch to kind of discover what Bitcoin is, it's number go up technology. And I think just to answer one of your earlier questions surrounding toxicity and, you know, should we be toxic if we are trying to welcome new people to Bitcoin or appeal to newer people who are outside of Bitcoin? I actually roll with yes. I think it's actually a good thing to be toxic, be more real. Uh, don't worry about the, the, you know, the swear bombs. Um, because I think people, they're so sick of this nice corporate lie that they're used to from the government. They're looking for alternative viewpoints surrounding the world. So I think if you're real and you're authentic um, on YouTube, I think people are going to relate to you a lot more. That's how I go about it. And that's kind of how I tell my clients they should also go about it. You know, don't worry about being very corporate and very nice because people are sick of it. This is so true. That some wise man said, uh, I don't remember who, but someone said, honesty is the currency of the future. That struck a chord with me because like, yes, Bitcoin is honesty. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But there's more to it. That's one of the superpowers that Bitcoin gives you. Not only in a philosophical sense or a meta sense, but once you know that you're set for, like, if you get over above a certain threshold and you know your coins are stored, stored properly and you, they're uncensorable and you know that you'll have them forever and so on and so forth, that allows you to be yourself to a, a much larger extent. So honesty is the currency of the future. There, there are so many layers to that. And I think that's the people watching YouTube shows or listening to pods, they, they appreciate honesty above everything else. Because like 
why would you listen to anything that markets itself as interesting when it's not actually inst- interesting? Because if it's not honest, it's not interesting by default. <laughs> it can be interesting to see what others think about stuff, but still, honesty is the only way forward. And th- there's nothing easier in the world than dropping all of your previous fiat masks that you were wearing and just be yourself and try to be the best version of yourself possible. And if you fail, good for you. You learned something. That's what we strive for anyway to to try to do here. Learning new things is is fun. Once you allow yourself to admit that I don't know anything about this, but I'm going to give it a try and see where it goes. That's the best love- thing ever. I love that. Honesty is the future. I think that's very poetic. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why Bitcoin is the fastest growing technological invention in history. It's one of the fastest growing faster than the internet was. And that's because people are sick of this fiat world where they've been lied to for the past hundred years. Society has been lied to about the educational system, the healthcare system, the medical system, and first and foremost, the monetary system. People are sick of all of it. And you're slowly watching, you know, the beginning of what some people call this, you know, great awakening. I'm not fully on board with a lot of the things that those that crowd says, but they're onto something. Like the world is slowly gravitating towards truth. And I love that. What did you say? Big, uh, the future is truth and Bitcoin is the truth. Yeah, well, honesty is the currency of mm. the future and Bitcoin is honesty. I think that's what I said. There's so much there. I mean, we've been lied to sort of implies that there's a liar. And I, I think that most people are just confused. Most people in these institutions, most politicians, of course, some of them are deliberately lying about stuff, obviously. But most of them, most of the people on the wrong side of the fence, so to speak, are just ignorant about certain topics and therefore they push the current narrative forward and they aren't able to zoom out of the era in which they live and they think that these are modern times, these are how things are and this is how things are going to work and they don't see themselves on this historical spectrum and don't realize that every single generation in human history thought that this is now because it was now, it's always now and that now is always changing. It's not static at all. It's dynamic. So the interesting thing is where we're going and what direction we're going in. And I think honesty is the best path forward, of course. And and, uh, that if people in government knew about praxeology, for instance, they wouldn't be in government. They would be in the private sector. And more and more things would move away from things that provably cannot work in the long term. Fiat money is the obvious example, but there are other things as well. But fiat money cannot work in the long run because it means more and more money printing every year. Uh, GDP going up forever is, like Greta Thunberg says, it's a fantasy. It it really is. Perpetual growth measured in GDP is a fantasy. (laughs) Perpetual growth in terms of human ingenuity and innovation that's possible, at least until the sun becomes big and eats, it up, eats us up after four million years. If we haven't found a way to get to another star, that's, uh, that's not forever. Few things are. But yeah, I, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I think there's a connection to honesty and <laughs> something here. I think the system itself 
turns people into liars rather than there being a deliberate conspiracy going on anywhere. Yeah, I used to be a lot more in the camp. I was far more heavily in the camp of there's a they. It's the World Economic Forum and it's Klaus. They're the ones controlling the whole world. That was kind of my view, you know, 2018, 2019. I kind of slowly gravitated a little bit and changed my opinion a little bit. I still do think there are evil people in the world like Klaus and many of the people who go to some very interesting islands around the world with Jeffrey. But I think there's just a large incentive system where people have just been caught up in this fiat incentive system and they believe everything they've been told. And I think it's just going to take time for them to come to the realization that no, truth is not what the church and the state is telling you it is. And, you know, 500 years ago when the printing press did separate church and the state, it took a long time. Like it took decades for the truth to finally get out there. And I think it still might take a little bit of time uh, in today's internet age. But I think, you know, uh, with the internet democratizing information and Bitcoin democratizing and decentralizing money, I think it could happen very rapidly that people do uh, jump out of this fiat incentive system that they've come to live by and believe in their whole life. So I'm pretty interested in how things could unfold in the coming years. Yeah, not to say there's no evil people. Of course, there are evil people. And the thing is that the systems we've built up, they attract evil people. If you're evil and if you're willing to do whatever to get into positions of power, you probably will end up in a position of power. And that's how skewed, how bad the systems are built up. So it is the rich men north of Richmond uh, <laughs> that, that are... are Maybe not causing the mess, but making the mess worse every day. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's how I see the world. And what a man, Oliver Anthony. He certainly captured the cultural zeitgeist with that song recently. Yeah, yeah. And some Bitcoiners were, uh, Tour, for instance, was one of the first ones on the ball there. And he, he really saw the genius of that song. And I remember I saw it like a day after it was released. A day after that, I sent him an email, invited him to this show. But uh, I, we had no chance at getting him on at that point. Maybe, maybe. Oliver, if you hear this, we'd love to have you on our show and talk music because he got so viral. So, so everyone tried to reach out to him, of course. Yeah, I think that song got tens of millions of views. Absolutely ridiculous. But it kind of shows the way of the times. It shows you what society is feeling. We see all of these viral TikTok videos recently where you have soccer moms in Canada and America literally crying on camera saying they can't afford things. And slowly you're having songs from Oliver Anthony start to actually correctly diagnose the root problem. It's fiat money. It's these rich cabal of elites who can, you know, change the rules of the monetary system whenever they want and print new monetary units. That's the reason that cost of living is getting ridiculously high. It's just we don't quite have those people correctly identifying the solution yet. We have some people. We have people like Jordan Peterson warming up to Bitcoin and slowly beginning to talk about it. We also have other viral people around the world like Joe Rogan begin to mention Bitcoin a little bit uh, more. So I, I think we're really on the tipping point of society saying, okay, this is the problem. There's something wrong with the money. And I think we're not far away from people actually correctly diagnosing the solution. And it is Bitcoin. It's so simple. 21 million. Exactly. Yeah. Joe Rogan, I think he might have been the guy who said current, uh, honesty is the currency of the future or, or it's someone talking about Rogan because I think he captured that that's why he became so big because he was honest. He had honest conversations and people wanted that. 
There's also other people around the world, you know, uh, like Russell Brand, for example, another one who's just, I believe, is speaking the truth and just speaking about things openly. And he's getting attacked left, right and center. He's got millions of subscribers on YouTube. I, I think, though, that there's a, and Russell Brand may or may not be an example of this, but I think people play different games and a lot of content creators, they get addicted to their success because like it's overwhelming if you manage to grow big in a short amount of time and you, you get all sorts of perks. People start to treat you differently and you get all sorts of offers from here and there. So in a way, this race for likes and, and retweets and subscribers and stuff, it, it becomes a, a, an incentive structure that may not have honesty as its uh, biggest driving force in the, for a lot of these YouTubers because they, they value their the power that comes with being recognized so high. This is a thing that may or may not happen, but like when Bitcoin 10Xs, which it does at some point, we 10X too, at least in all probability. So all the Bitcoiners will be 10 times as more recognized. And that comes with upsides and downsides. If you have a hundred thousand followers, like statistics can tell you how big a percentage of those followers are psychopaths. Like the, there's, there's upsides and downsides to that. And I, I think as, as public Bitcoiners, we, we need to be prepared for what a, uh, a big Heinz ketchup moment would do to us and especially to our psyches and to our egos and not let that get to our heads. Bitcoin changes you more than you change uh, can change it, as the saying goes. And uh, it's mostly a change for the better, but attention changes you too. And that might not always be a change for the better. Do you have any thoughts around that? I have many different thoughts. Uh, the first one, obviously, being like you're seeing this on YouTube. Like if I record a video tomorrow saying Bitcoin's going to $100 million and here's why, that's going to get, you know, 10,000 views. But if I do a video tomorrow saying, uh, this is why the Lightning Network is a revolution. It's probably going to get 500 views. It's going to get 20 times less views. And it is very difficult to try to balance the, the kind of content that you are making purely as a content creator with the fiat incentives that we do have in front of us at the moment. And it's very difficult to try to use a little bit of curiosity and clickbait in our titles, but also deliver that Bitcoin message alongside the ridiculous clickbait that's going to get all the views. I think that's something that a lot of Bitcoin companies can certainly take advantage of more. But when you're kind of talking about the incentives and how it changes you personally, I think you've kind of got two diametrically opposing social media platforms battling it out right now. You have X or Twitter and you have Nostar. And so like you say, Kanoon, I think the incentives are being very skewed on Twitter right now. People be, being able to monetize their accounts. And uh, for a laugh, I go and listen to some of these, you know, large spaces where they're teaching people how to monetize their accounts. And all of these big guys with millions of followers, they're saying, yeah, yeah, it's really easy. You just need to comment in the replies of all of my uh, Twitter posts. And if you pay me money and you subscribe to me, I'm going to reply to you so you get lots of engagement and you reach your 5 million impressions in three months. And that's just incentivizing trash. That's incentivizing people just becoming a reply guy, just replying trash in the comments of their favorite person. Whereas like on Nosta, provide value. There's nobody who controls Nosta who can pay you out uh, for trashy, trashy comments and uh, weak 
uh, flaccid engagement that's not actually real. You provide value. If someone likes your shit, they're going to zap you for it over the Lightning Network. Yeah. We've had some debates about Noster, and we're not entirely convinced that it won't run into the same problems as the old incentive structures, because uh, attention is still valuable to content creators, and people will crave attention. That's why people want to be celebrities. There's a difference between wanting to be a celebrity and wanting to be recognized, for sure. Of course, you want your work to be appreciated by, the, by others, but some people just want the attention for attention's sake. And, and that's a different game. And there's, there are no real easy solutions to that. But w when I hear that about the Twitter spaces you just talked about, it reminds me of the Wolf of Wall Street and the last scene where, where, where uh, sell me this pen and, and, and this obvious asshole still gets a, a ton of people to want, a ton of people still want to be like him because he scammed a lot of people and he was a total dick. But they want to know how to be a total dick because he made a lot of money. <laughs> it's yeah, but we, for our show, we, we talk about stuff like this a lot being in danger here. And we, we, we would never uh, like seriously interview a shit coiner and like apologize for what they do. Or, or if, if we ever have a shit, shit coiner on, it will be ruthless. <laughs> so, so. The thing is, the price for, for everything else is your integrity and your reputation is, is always on the line. And the way I see it, you can only sell your soul once. If you take the bag of shit coins and run away, uh, like, and if you do something dodgy, that dodgy move was probably costlier to you in a, in a strict praxeological sense, uh, than, than the, the money you got for it. So you won't see me doing ads for some shampoo anytime soon if I, even if i do 10x like I, I don't know what the correct analogy is here but money has the power to change people's incentives so so i think honest money is a prerequisite for every everything else in the honesty business <laughs> Yeah, 100%. It's very difficult to say no to, you know, large paychecks from these shitcoin companies. Like I've been approached by a few of them and they've offered me pretty significant amounts of money to grow their YouTube channel or grow their Twitter. And uh, I'm the same, I find myself in the same boat as you, Canute. There's no amount of money that, you know, is going to be put in front of me that's going to help me help a scammer or help me help a corrupt shitcoiner because... I, I just think it's, like you say, it's going to kill your integrity so bad. And I just don't believe morally the message they're putting out there. But I'm interested. Uh, give me the bear case on Nostal. Not the bear case, but maybe how the incentive system uh, may not be all we hope it may be. Full disclaimer, I, I don't know enough about Noster yet to have an, a really informed opinion on this, but the way, the, the things I know about Noster is that there is no mention of Satoshis in the actual protocol. So, and the word decentralization is being thrown around a lot. And I always, I always suspect things that throw around the word decentralization because uh, to me, decentralization in Bitcoin is an unfortunate means to a greater end which is sound money, like uh, <laughs> uh, censorship resistance, all of that stuff. So uh, decentralization, it would be way easier if it could be decentralized and someone could be trusted, then we would only need one Excel sheet and not this entire distributed ledger system. So the only reason we need decentralization in Bitcoin is to allow for all the other awesome stuff that it does. I, I don't 
really see that in Noster. The Noster is still going to be uh, through relays, and there will be premium relays where you pay for a service and everything. But that's sort of the same monetization uh, structure that is going on in the other big things. I don't, I don't really see this not taking the uh, the same path as every other internet. Uh, I know it's a protocol, so but but if you look at SMTP, for instance, and uh, email providers, they have sort of centralized. Uh, most people use Gmail or or uh, whatever Apple Mail or Microsoft. I don't know if there's an Apple Mail. I, I have a hard time seeing how Nostr itself solves that. Bitcoin may solve it somehow, but cryptography is not enough. I know Gigi is a big Nostr fan, and he, but he's also the guy that said cryptography is not enough. And your identity on Nostr is a cryptographic a public key and a private key, right? So what if you fire up a million accounts or a million key pairs? And uh, you uh, you send a bunch of sats from nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine of those accounts to the millionth account. Then most of the algorithms on the relays will uh, put your Noster post high up in people's feed uh, because there's no way of verifying that the uh, the key pairs are actually not the same person. So so you run into all these bot problems and everything that are already in all the other social networks. And uh, I, I'm i not saying I don't buy it completely because I'm still uh, eager to learn more about Noster. But I have a hard time seeing the why it's such a different thing. You know, influencers will still influence. They will still play the same game as they're playing now. They'll just be playing it for sats. If anything, that might even give them a bigger incentive to to post stuff that attracts a lot of views and attracts a lot of attention because that will lead directly to them receiving a lot of sets. Is it a solution or is it just amplifying the problem? I'm, I have mixed feelings about this. I, I, I don't know. I haven't made up my mind yet. You're going to send me down another rabbit hole after today's chat. Uh, I really want to explore that more. It's very interesting. I, I do, if your posts get zapped more on Nostra, does that is there some sort of algo on Nostal where that post gets well, that's, shown uh, more? That's, well, that's up to each and every uh, 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 relay, right? It's called a relay, right? I think it's more like the client can decide. A oh, client, to, yeah, to yeah. Show. Yeah, but I mean, you you can you can put settings in your client to say show more popular stuff. I think, but it's not really good. Uh, I've I've not had any experience other than that you just show things in descending order basically yeah. Yeah. So, so so if you flip not your keys not your coins that means uh, not your bitcoins not your information you, you know what i mean the only information that is actually yours is still bitcoin that's the only string of information that you can actually own otherwise it's still up to the the, the Nostra clients and the relays and stuff to curate whatever comes from you into other people's feeds you don't have any say in that, so it doesn't really matter if you own your key pair or not. Like the, the I, I think there ought to be a bigger debate about the pros and cons of Nostra because it, it's sort of like, oh, Jack Dorsey is on board and he put fifty million dollars into it. It must be good because he's a, a monk now. I'm yet to be convinced. I'm not saying I'm against it or anything like that. I'm I'm eager to learn more, 
and eager to have people try to poke holes in my, uh, you know, devil's advocate arguments that I've given to you now. I think that's healthy. We need devil's advocates arguments. I saw a really good podcast earlier in the week. There's a little bit of a debate between uh, uh, my buddy George Gammon and Jeff Booth. And a lot of people were giving George I shit. saw that. Yeah. I, I, I love a devil's advocate. I think, I think it's good that people poke holes in all of our arguments. I welcome it, yeah. personally. And, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I gave Jeff a, a call afterwards and I complimented on him on that episode because it's, uh, it's so good. He's so good in debates. Like uh, He just takes an attack and uh, turns it into courtesy and uh, a counter-argument on a silver plate. And it's just beautiful. He's one of a kind. He is definitely one of a kind. The show is also sponsored by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network where you can stack friends who stack sats. You can connect with your favorite Bitcoiners on the app, make local connections, and even connect with Bitcoiners around the world. You can see what's going on in your area and organize and attend local events. I've been to multiple events organized on Orange Pill App, and they brought Bitcoiners together from all over. And now, with group chat, it's easier than ever to stay in touch with all your Bitcoin friends. The best part is, you know it's high signal. There's no spam on Orange Pill app because everyone pays to be there. So download Orange Pill app on Apple or Android and start building your local network of Bitcoiners. Next up, the Bitcoin way. Their mission is to onboard, educate, and remove barriers to taking self-custody of your Bitcoin. They cover everything from cold wallets to nodes, no KYC Bitcoin purchases, inheritance planning, payments, and more. Whether you're new to Bitcoin or you're an experienced Bitcoiner looking to expand your freedom footprint, or you know someone who this sounds perfect for, the Bitcoin Way has something for you. They have a skilled team, well-versed in the Bitcoin space, and their goal is to make all the complexities of Bitcoin as straightforward as possible for everyone. And the best part is you can get started with a free 30-minute call with their team. Go to thebitcoinway.com contact for more info. Our newest sponsor is Geyser. They are the portal to the creator economy on Bitcoin. On Geyser, creators can monetize their work through their communities in a social and engaging way, and supporters can send sats to their favorite projects. Geyser has also recently integrated with Zaps and Podcasting 2.0, so every Zap sent to a Geyser address shows up on the Geyser page. We have a Geyser fund ourselves. It's the best way to support our show directly with Bitcoin. So whether you're a creator or a supporter, check out Geyser at geyser.fund today. Well, I think, hey, I think, I think we're drifting towards maybe the, the end of our, our time here. But Luke, any last words about your, your views on the, the near term? What do you think we can expect in the next few months for Bitcoin? Or anything else you want to talk about? Anything else I want to talk about? I, I think uh, right now, I would not have a clue what's going to happen uh, in Bitcoin, apart from the fact we've got a halving in around 210 days. Uh, a lot of people are saying, you know, the halving's priced in, as they do every year. I don't think the pr- halving's priced in, so I expect number go up. Uh, I think, like, if we're looking really near-term, again, I, I really hate near-term price predictions. But over the past couple of weeks, it's really interesting. The Dixie has been rallying really hard. So the US dollar, comparatively, is getting stronger than other fiat currencies. Normally, that decimates Bitcoin. Normally, that's a risk-off environment. Normally, that's when bonds are bid. People buy bonds, they sell stocks and other assets like Bitcoin, and they buy gold bonds and the Dixie rallies. Not this time. It's really interesting. The past couple of weeks, Bitcoin's actually kind of diverged from gold. Bitcoin's been pumping, gold's been dumping, as well as every other asset class over the past three to four weeks. 
so there's a little bit of near term, a uh, little bit of near term stuff. But you know, I prefer to zoom out a lot. I I, I really do think Bitcoin uh, is uh, the digital industrial revolution 2.0. Um, I think Bitcoin's that big. The industrial revolution brought us these wave of five technological revolutions every 50 years. And I think Bitcoin is like Michael Saylor says, it's the portal into uh, the digital universe. I really look at Bitcoin on a multi-thousand year kind of time horizon. I think Bitcoin is going to create this wave of technological innovation that we haven't seen in a long time. Like we are living through this great stagnation that people like Peter Thiel and Eric Weinstein correctly identify, but they just haven't quite popped their finger on what's actually causing that. And I think it is Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is going to do all of the things that led to the Industrial Revolution. So what happened and what gave us this wave of 250 years of innovation? It was increasing monetary velocity via central banking in the 1600s. Whether that be a good or a bad thing, that's what happened. And that helped our economy thrive. Uh, we saw um, the wave of capitalism and um, through the Declaration of Independence and the French Revolution in the 1770s, we saw all of this property rights spring up. I don't think it's a uh, coincidence that we saw this wave of, you know, capitalism. Democracy is a shit coin, but we saw more property rights in the 1770s and that gave us all of this innovation. And we saw uh, an enormous increase in the amount of energy we used in the 1600s when we found coal as an energy source. I think all of those key ingredients led to 250 years of prosperity that we have seen. And I think Bitcoin is going to do that for the digital age. It increases the amount of energy we use and it captures wasted energy, gives property rights to every single person around the world, irrespective of where they are or whether they are unbanked, like the 2 billion-ish people who are unbanked around the world. And Bitcoin increases monetary velocity. Um, so I, again, always like to zoom out. Um, I look at Bitcoin on that kind how, of... How? How does it increase monetary velocity? Well, right now we have all of this friction. Uh, swapping fiat currency to fiat currency, and we yeah, also yeah. have. But but it's devil's advocate argument for that because it's deflationary, and it, until uh, until everything divided by twenty one million, nothing is priced in correctly. And w when that happens, when people realize that I'm not selling this ever, like because it's so fucking good, like at least more and more people will trend towards that than. I, oh, this is awesome. I want to spend it all. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, that people will spend money, use money less and less. That's, that's the, the argument I was trying to make before. If I, if I try to come up with an example, it would be if 10 really, really rich friends decide to have dinner every night, each night, one of them will pick up the bill. So 10 transactions are made in total. If they're nice and wealthy, like all Bitcoiners will be in the future. So, and if 10 poor people decide to eat together every night, each one of them will buy their own pack of noodles because they can't afford to pick up the bill. So a hundred transactions happen. This, this might be a, a bad analogy or whatever, but, but still, I do suspect that fewer transactions will happen over time in a deflationary environment. So the velocity of money is sort of... In my mind, that's sort of a Keynesian metric to begin with and not some, something to necessarily strive for. Microtransactions is a very fiaty thing in my mind. Like when you have to pay to go to the bathroom in the central station somewhere uh, and you have to have a coin to, to get your cart for the supermarket or whatever. Those are all very fiaty inventions in my mind. And I see a Bitcoin standard where 
you pay for something maybe once a year and then this is some sort of subscription model because that's way, way easier for both the customer and the provider or whatever good a service it is. So I see uh, velocity of money going down and not up. And now there's a, there's another thought nugget for you. I love thought nuggets. I, I think I agree with you in a hundred years. I think in a hundred years, there'll be less transactions. I think getting there, I'm not sure how that's going to unfold. I think I agree though, monetary velocity is potentially not the best way to frame it. Maybe I should say global interconnectedness, uh, a little bit less catchy, but uh, like I think central uh, banking- love it. Love it. Yeah, like I think central banking gave the ability for more trade. Uh, you can it's simply, it's a lot easier to send paper receipts to Europe than it is to ship a boatload of gold. And I think Bitcoin does that for the 1.7 billion people who are unbanked around the world. All of a sudden, they can send value to someone on the other side of the world, irrespective of them being in Venezuela or Africa. Yeah, uh, I'm just trying to make the argument that just it's great that it's easier. The Lightning Network is fantastic. Like it's it's absolutely awesome to be able to to accept Lightning and to pay with Lightning wherever I'm at the Bitcoin conference. I love it. Having said that, though, I suspect that making something easy, it's not necessarily going to increase its usage. I mean, it's probably easier to manufacture a horse cart these days than in the 19th century. But still, there's less demand for them. Also, bad analogy. But I I think as we move into the future, we'll we'll see people figure out other ways of interacting with one another's value systems. Like Bitcoin will be used, but not necessarily on chain or even on the Lightning Network. Uh, We can see people just trading with their reputational capital. I mean, value for value is not only sats, it's services in general. Like the way I see it, we're engaged in a trade right now. We're exchanging information with one another. You're giving me your life. I'm giving you my life right now. This is this moment. It's, it's not coming back. I'm giving it away to you. And you're gracious enough to give away a piece of your life to me right now. And I'm Wandering away here, I think, but uh, uh, I'd like to plant this little, uh, these little seeds of uh, something that will lead to that which you can do without your own, as the big insight of the, uh, the the cherry on top of this, that if you don't have the craving, you don't need the thing, you can be happy with just your Bitcoin stack and a toothbrush, which, which your wall there behind you alludes to that you're already doing, you're already living <laughs> like that. <laughs> Look at it. There's nothing behind me. There's holes in the wall. I'm stacking, baby. Wonderful. And maybe that is the perfect note to end things on. So I'll, I'll, I'll repeat the question, but, and uh, Knut can uh, not interrupt this time. Uh, any final thoughts, Luke? I, I don't think I have any. I, I think we've covered so much today. Uh, my final thought would be, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And... Uh, if there's anyone out there considering, you know, if they're listening to this and they made it this far into today's interview, they're a new Bitcoiner, reach out and just talk to more Bitcoiners. I think I, I was initially very scared to talk to Bitcoiners uh, when I was a lot earlier in my Bitcoin rabbit hole journey. They, they scared me. They were toxic on Twitter back in 2019. But it was some of the best uh, things I could have done. So if you're new, if you're learning about Bitcoin, reach out. Talk to more Bitcoiners, uh, spread the Bitcoin message. And thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. 
Wonderful. And where can everyone find you, by the way? So I will be shitposting on Twitter. I um, am making videos on the Money Matters YouTube channel a couple of videos a week. Yeah, if you want to tell me their shit or if you want to tell me you don't like uh, me for any reason, send me your hate mail. I am open to it. I You find me on Twitter. I'm everywhere. Well, look, we appreciate what uh, you and what you do a lot. And I, I, I love this conversation and I'd uh, like to continue it preferably in, in real life sometimes or uh, away from keyboard, as we say. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on our show and uh, good luck with everything you do. And thank just reach out if there's anything you want. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, that means a lot uh, coming from yourself, Knut. I've read two of your books, not not four. I think you have four now. I've read uh, Infinity Divided by 21 Million and uh, Sovereignty Through Mathematics. That's the other one I've read. So it means a oh, lot great. coming from yourself. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy the, the other two books. <laughs> I'll get there. I'll get there. Praxeology is the next <laughs> one on my list. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that afterwards. So make sure to send a DM or something. Anyway, Sounds thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Luke. Thanks, Danger. Take care. <laughs> so, what did you think of that episode with Luke? What was your favorite moment? Let us know. You can send us a boostergram on Fountain, leave us a comment on YouTube, or get in touch on Noster or Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the channel. Our show's sponsors are Amber App, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way, and Geyser. Check out their details in the description. That's all for now. See you next time and... Thanks for listening.